Hey, y'all, it's Ty. Just want to let you know that Phil Elson and Halftime are going to be live from Omaha at the College World Series at T. Henry's Pub this Friday from 12 to 2. Drink some brews, talk some baseball with Phil, and maybe get a chance to win a T. Henry's gift certificate so your booze is free. Again, T. Henry's Pub, Friday, 318 South 11th Street. Let's get back to the podcast. Hogs trying to win a natty. The Hogs are going to Omaha. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. You can actually feel Razorback Stadium shaking underneath our feet right now. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Arkansas wins the national championship. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. I have been trying to get you together with Ty. Strikeouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground ball. It's more democratic. This is the Halftime Podcast, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse you've been listening to us uh, for uh, the bulk of our, what is it now, nine months on the airtime? Uh, really, in the last four months is when we've added to this halftime mobile studio location, knowing full well that the most memorable and the best location for a mobile studio, especially this time of the year involving somebody that's connected to the Arkansas baseball program, would be uh, the city of Omaha, Nebraska. And it almost just feels like kismet that here we are uh, a couple of days before Arkansas begins uh, hopefully a, a successful run in the College World Series, and we get a fantastic view to talk about it of the College World Series Stadium, 19 floors above and just four city blocks away. So I can tell you how empty right now TD Ameritrade Park is, but also how beautiful it is and how that bright grass just looks brighter by the moment. And uh, that's about, what, four floors? I'm four floors above my hotel room. So, I, man, I'm going to be piling it on you throughout the entire time we're here, Ty, and you're going to hate me. You are going to hate me by the time this show is is all finished. Maybe the listeners will, too. I hope this isn't just coming across as, as bragging or anything, but I, I feel I feel as lucky as anybody could possibly feel, not just here with a successful baseball program for the second year in a row, uh, but also uh, getting a great view of the stadium and sending you shots of food that you probably would have liked to eat instead of what you ate last night. I'm telling you what, Ty, I'm I'm going to try to remain as humble as I possibly can, but I got it made right now. I got to be honest. I couldn't imagine a better situation than right now. What's the term in pace requisite? Is that how you say it? It's I don't know. It sounds like nirvana, you're speaking Latin to me. Nirvana feels pastime. I don't I mean there's so many words and phrases that could be used to describe what you're feeling right now and the games haven't even started yet. We're still 2 days away from Arkansas playing their first game against Florida State on Saturday night. But do you, just with the view you're getting to look at right now, the food you're getting to consume, and the games that you're about to watch, this is Phil Elson's prime time. This is his nirvana. And unfortunately, not only will I have FOMO from you, but when John goes up on Sunday, and then the possibility of Tommy, if Arkansas makes it farther into the tournament, would also be making the trip up there. So I'll just be my little lonesome self back here, in our Fort Smith studios, crying, weeping, sobbing, the fact that I'm not in Omaha on the verge of Arkansas potential winning the national championship. But there's there's worse lifetimes, there's worse jobs out there, so I'm just going to have to watch vicariously in Omaha through you guys. 
I felt I felt bad for a second there, a little bit of a second. Just really a second. the lon- really the loneliness more than anything else. You know, without a roommate, without a without a co-host there, without anybody to answer to. Really, I mean, then you get a chance to just uh, you know be the general manager essentially All while right. you're over there by yourself. I got a topic for you, real quick, and you just be a hundred percent, be brutally honest with me. John was just going to expect me to take care of Rowdy, his dog. Now I'm going to get paid. I was like, but uh, I'm not doing that. Like, it's one thing for a weekend, but like, if he's got a week or two, I feel like that's not me being pushed or anything. Do you think I'm in the wrong if I should get expect to get paid if I'm having to take a route and what could be up for two weeks? I feel like I'm not that bad of a roommate. Well, I mean, it all depends on what sort of arrangement you and the roommate can work out together. But there's got to, I would essentially, I would think there'd be some sort of. Payment isn't the right term, you know, whether it's cash or or something that's real money, but something or some uh, act of value, uh, I think, um, could be could be handed back on a roommate basis. I mean, roommates do have to, uh, you know, eventually take care of each other in some way. So yeah. maybe this goes along with it. But I let him out like all the time. That's it's pretty regular. For that's me, opening like, a door. Day. That's opening a door. But take him outside and, and occasionally walking him. I'm, I'm pretty regular when it comes to that. I just I felt like maybe I'm wrong. Audience, tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm being a, a clown uh, and we could throw a phrase in front of it. But I don't know if that's SEC regulated. But this is funny because this is the sort of conversation, the sort of topic that I think a lot of people across Arkansas are having right now, because this is a this is a shotgun plan. When you when you go to the College World Series, you have uh, two days to plan for it. Yeah. If that. And and that goes along with everything that uh, a normal life goes along with. Whether you can take off of work, whether you've got the savings in order to pull it off. I mean, this is not a this is not an inexpensive uh, event to try to be a part of. This isn't uh, you know oh we're going to go to the final four and it's a weekend. This isn't oh we're going to go to the Super Bowl and it's a weekend. It's cost plenty of money to travel to those events and to travel to and uh, to buy the tickets and to get hotel rooms. You're talking about it legitimately a two week event that if you come here you're thinking goodness I mean do I what if they make it all the way? I know a lot of people had a lot of kind of tough decisions to make last yeah. year on uh, whether they wanted to spend the money or whether they could take the time to do it. And then who's going to let the dog out and who's going to water the plants and all those other things that go along with trying to keep a normal house. You know what I, the, I don't know what that's like anymore. Hey, you know what the good thing is? The money you had set aside for a potential bowl game this past year or an NCAA <laughs> tournament, you, ha- you still have that money because the Arkansas basketball team, the Arkansas football team didn't do jack this year when yeah, it came that is to real, I play. Ty. I am so impressed with your ability to take a negative and twist it into <laughs> the best positive possible. Well done. Uh, yeah, I just, I literally just thought about that on the spot. But yeah, the performance that those teams both had would lead you to believe that some fans who set aside postseason money every single year would have that still left over, assuming they didn't blow it on something else. That being said, you can now use it for Omaha. So I, I feel like you put two and two together. That makes sense. You know it's been a successful athletic athletic season. Uh, if uh, by the end of the by the end of the athletic season, football, basketball, baseball are done, uh, you've got no more money to spend because you've gone to everything. If you're one of the lucky people that can actually pull that sort of thing off, I was going to say I I wish I was in that category where I could I could do that. It's one thing if we're, I don't think there are a lot of people that could do all three. I'm with you on that. And typically, we've talked about this how there's segments of the fan base that 
have their money allocated to football, certain to basketball, some to baseball. Some can do all three, but as you mentioned, that number is pretty minute. There's not a lot of those people that can afford to be as vast when it comes to attending all three sports. Well, I mean, it, it used to be you could sort of count on being a bowl team. You know, you didn't miss too many bowl games there for, you know, under under Houston Nutt, and uh, it used to be you could count on going to the NCAA basketball tournament too, and now it almost feels like you can count on going to the College World Series. Mm-hmm. Almost count on it. Uh, it had been for a while. That you, we were looking at it's every three years. You remember, I mean, outside of 2004 under Dave Van Horn, you had 2009, 12, 15, and then 18. So you had your three-year increments. Um, and, and now you get it on back-to-back years. And so you start to think to yourself, well, maybe, maybe this is the sort of thing that can happen every year or more than once over a three-year period. Yeah. You get a little greedy. You do. And it, you, it's not the, I don't say that you're looking ahead necessarily, but you do know the kind of program he had. And this is the, this is the conversation we got into about, you know, Dave Van Horn not believing what the preseason polls say because he's not looking at it from the writers' perspectives or the other coaches' perspectives who are looking at their, at their preseason vote for Arkansas and saying, well, that's Arkansas and that's Dave Van Horn and they're going to get a lot better. Dave's looking at the team he had and just wasn't quite sure who could, you know, if roles would be filled in the positive way and everything, everything, everything was answered in an affirmative way, which has a lot to do with the coach. And when you're talking about Dave Van Horn, you're talking about the most successful coach outside of Lance Harder on campus uh, with all the track championships uh, under Coach Harder, I think. Pretty, you know, that he'd be the most successful. Dave, amongst the three major sports, as we would say, uh, is the most successful and has been for a long time. Is there a different level that he's entered now that he has taken them to the College World Series a second year in a row and a sixth time under his watches in 18 years? And it's 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 funny too because. He's not won a national title. He's facing a coach who also is referred to in many way, in for many people as the GOAT in Mike Martin, who's won more games as a Division One college baseball coach than anybody ever and is taking them to the College World Series for the 17th time in 40 years and also never won a national championship. Does that diminish at all the achievements of an incredible head coaching career, which in, involves... Uh, future Hall of Famers that are already playing big league baseball, guys like Buster Posey, uh, major league managers, uh, prime to the initial prime time played for Mike Martin, Deion Sanders. Uh, the fact that he hasn't won a national title, does that diminish any of his accomplishments? Do you feel the same way about Dave Van Horn? I think it has to, and not everyone's going to like that opinion, but I mean, you think about some. Great players, great coaches over the history of whatever sport you look at. Think about Dan Marino. Some would argue he's the greatest quarterback of all time. Never won a Super Bowl. Charles Barkley, he's not really into the the greatest of all time category. But here's a guy that never won an NBA championship. Lost to the Bulls in 93 and then came up heartbroken in Game game 7 in 94-95 against the Houston Rockets and was eliminated in the Western Conference Finals. You mentioned Mike Martin. That's just the category. You want to be revered. You want to be remembered. But you don't want to be the guy 
that people remember you as the guy that never could get it done. And you and I both don't think that Dave is going to enter that category. We're along the same line of thinking as Kendall Rogers, that at some point in time, Dave Van Horn is going to win a national championship at Arkansas. That being said, you look at the last 11 years, Phil, and a guy that I was playing volleyball with last night brought this up, Brent, five College World Series appearances the last 11 years. And the stat, I skewed it up, and I just want to correct myself on this. It's 2009 to 2019. That's not 10 years. It's 11 years. That's 11. It's right. 11. And just like the, the every three years, it's every four. Even though it's like 2015, 2018, it's 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018. So it's four, which doesn't make any sense. Like initially when you look at it, it's like, no, that's three. No, that's four. So that being said, Phil, he's back-to-back for the first time ever in his career at Arkansas. And it's incredible. You mentioned it's his sixth overall here at Arkansas. And it's, is it eighth or ninth overall in his career coaching-wise? Oh, this would be the eighth, okay. the eighth because of two at Nebraska. In that time span, in the last 11 years, I didn't, I'm didn't. i going to go ahead and include Florida on this list. They've been to seven. TCU's been to five. LSU, Texas, Florida State, and Virginia and Vanderbilt have been to four. The path to success has been there for Arkansas. But a lot of those teams I just listed have won national championships in that time span. So now it's just a matter of getting over that extra hump, which is always easier said than done. But again, I'll go back to the point I made earlier. You don't want to be known as the Mike Martin, not on the friendliness side. I'm not talking about that because he's one of the, apparently the nicest guys ever. I'm talking about the guy that couldn't win a national championship. And he still could this year. He could go out with a bang and win it. But I think Dave's, obviously you know this better than I do, his end goal is to win one. And you, I, Kendall Rogers, who will have up coming about like 20 minutes and others, think he's going to get one here at Arkansas. See, and I've seen it argued, too, about Mike Martin that that that, that some feel that it's more, it's, it's more of a, a difficult achievement or more of an actual achievement to have the stability and consistent success on a high on an extremely high level for as long as the Florida State program has been at that level 42 straight years with an NCAA regional the next closest streak is 13 to be in Omaha for 17 times at that or and I you could argue it both ways really that, it, that it's more impressive to have a track record like that than to win one national title you know and 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 look when you're talking about legacies over airwaves or on a television screen, so often it's so-called talking heads, or at least on a talk show like ours, it's talking heads. It's not people that have been there. It's not people that have been on the field or have played for that coach. So there's going to be differing perspectives on what a legacy is. And I think a lot of folks look at the legacy of Mike Martin as something that they would they would definitely take uh, minus the national title. But here's the thing, too. I mean, he's in his 40th year coaching that program. Dave Van Horn is is in his 18th year coaching Arkansas. And he's said publicly, he's, there's at least another 10 years to go in his career um, as as the head coach at Arkansas. And he, he'll, he'll be at the point where he can decide when it's time for him to retire, just like it was, was the same with Norm DeBryan. So... You know, Dave's Dave's legacy's got a lot longer to go, but just like Mike Martin, it will it it includes uh, major league award winners, major league Hall of Famers, eventually Hall of Famers, uh, and and consistent success on an extremely high level over a long time. 
which sets them apart from so many other other coaches that even have success for like a five or six year period uh, and, and, and win a national title during that time, but have the highs and the extreme lows to go along with it. You know, and it, when, when you look at, 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 at Dave, I mean, the, right now the one thing is that 2016 season, like the one year that they didn't make a tournament, mm-hmm. any tournament. It's amazing. The Florida, Florida State never had a season like that. They never had one of those so-called fluky years where they were so injured uh, or a recruiting class didn't work out or a recruiting class was decimated by the draft to where they, did, they didn't even make an NCAA regional. It's shocking, shocking that you could have that sort of uh, success on such, a, on such a high level. And, and people didn't come to expect it year in and year out, which is now what you expect from Arkansas. Now, you know, one of the things that, that I remember talking about, Ty, before the season started, that for Arkansas to get back to Omaha, they would need one of the returning players to take a giant step forward. You know, but that happens for special teams. The 2017 season, which you wouldn't put in that special category because they didn't make it out of the home regional, but you still had a really successful season that year. Chad Spanberger took a giant step forward. And really, that, that took place over the final two months of the season. In 2018, Eric Cole took that huge step forward, becoming uh, a frontline SEC outfielder and leadoff banner and, and eventually a prospect now in the Astros organization. Uh, and you also had pitchers, you know, kind of step up into those roles too, like Barrett Lowski, like Jake Rindel. Somebody was going to need to step up this year. And it, it, it turns out to be somebody that I don't know if anybody expected it to come from. Jack Kenley. And, and Kenley, I think this year they would have been very happy if Jack would have just stepped in to play second base and hit in the 280s to 290s with a couple of home runs, a few steals, play a steady second base. But but Jack Kenley had other ideas, Ty. And look at what he has turned himself into. He's turned himself into a professional prospect with power and speed and a guy that played second base for Arkansas this year. But he, he'll play. I'll be interested to see where it is the Tigers want him to play because he can play anywhere in the infield. Any 319 average, 13 homers, 53 runs batted in with some huge hits in the postseason, too. And now he's an All-American. D1Baseball.com chooses him as a third-teamer. It came out this morning. Yeah, and I told you, I've told you for the past couple months now, he's emerged as my favorite guy, and he's not the flashiest. He's not the best, but there's something about him. It seems like he's very reliable in the field, and he comes up with highly hitting, similar to Casey Opitz. And you mentioned... The power of the 13 bombs and the, the runs batted in. He's just been a monster for this baseball team last year. Didn't play. I don't know if he played at all his freshman year. Played sparingly last year. And now this year is getting to play and is instrumental. You see that all the time in sports. where And this is where it comes into the, oh, Arkansas doesn't recruit anymore. They reload. They're not rebuilding. They're reloading. And that doesn't just apply with the recruits coming in, Phil. It, reply, it also applies to the guys that are already on campus, to the guys that played lesser roles the year before, taking up the bigger roles, taking up more spotlight, and stepping right into it and, and absolutely just showing out, which is what Jack Henley has done this year. Well, he, he has shown out to the point where statistically his season could be the most impressive on the team. Let's think about that for a moment. Say that here. one more time. Jack Kenley's season could be the most impressive season 
statistically for this year's Arkansas baseball team. Jack Kenley has a higher batting average than Dominic Fletcher and Casey Martin. Jack Kenley owns the second highest slugging percentage on the team at 568. That's along with a 438 on base percentage, which is the third highest on the club. His, if you add his, his OPS together, now Ty OPS is on base plus slugging. It's, it's, just, it's just taking the on base percentage and the slugging percentage and adding it together. Mm-hmm. And for Jack, that's, that's 1.006. Anytime your OPS is over 0.9, it's really good. When it's over 1.0, it's incredibly good. Jack Kenley has the second highest OPS on the ball club. And the only one that's higher is Trevor Ezell which there's another guy that stepped up that nobody had heard of before the season started. So, I mean, these two newcomers have had the, not newcomers, but additions to the lineup on a day-to-day basis because Jack was here for two years. They've had the most impressive season statistically. And a year ago, Jack Kenley did not even get on the field in the NCAA tournament. Trevor Ezell was sitting at home. Uh, watching the NCAA tournament after the Southeast Missouri baseball season was over. And now they're leading the way to the College World Series. So I was referring to championships back a little while ago, and when you have championship-level ball clubs, there's always that really good star player or two-star players. With Arkansas, it seems like you got Martin, Kerstad, Fletch, Cronin, and Campbell. It's a little different for baseball, depending on how you look at it. But these quote-unquote role players, and I'm saying role players for a guy in Jack Kinley who might, as you mentioned, be statistically have the best season on this team. You think about a guy in Robert Ory who's on the 94-95 Houston Rockets on this, a couple Spurs team and a couple Lakers team who won seven NBA championships. There are certain guys throughout sports history, regardless of sport, that are absolutely instrumental in those teams getting national championships, NBA championships, Super Bowls, whatever it may be. Now, they're never going to get all the glory during the season or after the season. They're not going to be the most revered person on that team in history, but they're absolutely vital to that call club, ball club. And the two guys you just mentioned, and Jack Kinley and Trevor Ezell, they're not going to be the highest projected MLB guys. They're probably not going to have the most successful MLB careers. But if Arkansas is going to win a national championship, it's going to be because of guys like that having just spectacular seasons one not being on campus last year and he's Ellen coming over, and then Jack Kenley waiting his turn and having the season he is. Now, I think Kenley may actually turn himself into an interesting professional prospect, being a left-handed hitter who can play anywhere on the field, who has this year shown legitimate power, and he's fast enough on the bases to create some havoc. He's got some baseball instincts. I think, I don't know, and and for Ezel, I feel terrible because I feel like he's really limited to first base because of his throwing arm and the issues that he's had with his shoulder, but the height at five foot eight, you just don't see a lot of five foot eight first basemen in Major League Baseball, but you do see a lot of guys that look like Jack Kenley that play a lot of different positions. I think he'll be an interesting guy to watch uh, in the Tigers organization. You're listening to the Halftime Pod, live from Omaha, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Jeff Taylor and his staff over at Jeff's Clubhouse has a fantastic catering service, and they can almost cater up to any size. Give them a call today at 479-308-9123, or check them out on Facebook, or visit online at theclubhousefs.com. Now back to the Halftime Pod. Let's go. Kendall, how many how many years in Omaha in a row is this for you? This is like 14 for me, so it's actually funny. I was just uh, talking to the 
Uber driver here, and he asked me if it was my first time. I said, man, first time. I said, this is my 14th trip to be out here for two weeks. So uh, my, my early summer vacation has always been Omaha. There's a lot worse places uh, to go on vacation in June than Omaha. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it, it, it's funny, too. I remember the song about coming back to, back home to Omaha, and it, I know it's got to feel like that for you. It feels like that for teams that are coming here, but there's – there's just, the, I don't know another city that's got a special relationship with the sport of baseball like Omaha does. It's kind of like a, a Cooperstown sort of a way. You know what I mean? There's no doubt. I mean, I kind of wrote about this in our CBS preview, but every time I come here, you know, you see a lot of the same faces, and, uh, you know, it's just a great place to come back to. I always tell people as well, you know, if you're ever looking for a true kind of Americana experience, it, it, the cultural series is perfect. Um you, know, you look at all the different types of people that come here to follow the the tournament. You look at the, the fathers and sons all over the place, the teams from all over the country. Uh, it's just a great event, and I and I can't say enough about the job this city does with it. So, is there and there can't be a better story, at least, to open up the College World Series than Dave Van Horn's team against Mike Martin's team? It would be good enough if it was just Florida State versus Arkansas. Uh, in Omaha, but when you add in the two legendary head coaches with uh, the combined trips to Omaha right now, I think at 20 or 21, and both looking for their first national title with this is uh, Martin's last year. To me, that it's there's yeah. so many other stories to pay attention to, but that's at the top of the list. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, you look at the job that uh, you know Florida State has done here the last couple of weeks. I mean, I, you know, we've all seen Georgia. And for those guys to go dominate Georgia and go on the road at Baton Rouge, you know, I just thought there were so many times at that Super Regional to where you're thinking, like, okay, LSU's about to make a run. LSU's about to make a run. And it just never happened. And, you know, I think uh, Florida State, you know, they're, they're getting big hits in big situations. All of a sudden, the, the rotation is coming together. The, the bullpen, Antonio Velez against uh, LSU last weekend was awesome. And so just all the little things that you need to do to not only get to Omaha, but to win in Omaha. Uh, Florida State starting to do. So they kind of look like this magical club right now. We'll see if it continues here. And, of course, when you look at the Hogs, uh, it was almost kind of a mirror image, I felt like, of that South Carolina Super Regional last year against you know, this past weekend. I think if you look at the you know, the first game going the Hogs' way, uh, the second game was kind of like a throwaway game. I, I, Dave Van Horn would never call it that, but it was kind of a little one of those throwaway type of games. You know, once they got down, they just weren't trying that hard to come back. They were looking ahead. Uh, then the series finale, they go out there and do what they always do offensively. And so uh, this Arkansas team uh, is going to come here, and they're going to go out, you know, they're going to have fun between games, and they're going to have fun doing all the local stuff. But, boy, this is a team that's going to come here on a, on a mission. You know, they, they felt like when they went home last year, they had some unfinished business. And so uh, I, I think this team's going to be ready to roll. You'd, you'd mentioned about how the bullpen pitched in, in, in the postseason so far. And it looks to me Florida State's got the kind of lineup that can, they can do some damage, although they're facing maybe the hottest pitcher in, in the sport right now in Isaiah Campbell. But their bullpen was the difference so much so in that, in that super regional. And I mean, in the postseason, their pen has allowed two runs in 16 innings. They've been a little bit of a roller coaster, though. To me, the bullpen for them will be a key because Parrish doesn't pitch more than about four to five innings. There's a lot of lefties there for Mike Martin to work with. I think it'll be interesting the way he uses them. No, you're right. You know, and the thing is, is the two, the two keys. I was talking to our coach going into the Super Regional. He said you know, the two keys when you look at Florida State uh, is their defense and, and their pitching, primarily their bullpen. Um, he said there are times this year where. Their defense has kind of let them down, and obviously they've lost a lot of games because of that. When you look back at the LSU series, they had the one 
you know, error in a, in a key situation by Nando Sados. But other than that, they really, really played great defense. Mike Salvatore at uh, shortstop did a nice job. And so, guess what? They played defense. They won that game. And, uh, you know, you look at the bullpen, the job that Antonio Velez did. You know, Chase Haney's done a really nice job for them in some spots uh, in the postseason. So, uh, there, there are a lot of things to like right now about what Florida State's doing. But this is a, this is a tough matchup. I do think Arkansas is a better team uh, than LSU, uh, just a deeper and just better overall team. So, this is a much tougher test, but, uh, you know, they're, they're playing well right now. Give them a lot of credit. Live from the College World Series, Kendall Rogers, D1 Baseball, joins us here on Halftime. Kendall, Phil and I got into a little bit of a disagreement yesterday concerning the freshman pitching staff for Arkansas. Yeah. He said there's a possibility that it could be a concern. I think the freshman pitching is concerned. He pointed out some good facts. Wicklander had a good outing against Auburn, a College World Series team. And a couple yeah. others. You've seen Nolan and Wicklander show up, but they have been inconsistent. Yeah. And you expect that as freshmen. For you, is freshman pitching a concern heading into the College World Series for the Razorbacks? It's definitely a concern. I think when you look at this stage, uh, you know, I think we all feel great about Arkansas's offense. I think we all feel great about Isaiah Thomas, or Isaiah Thomas, excuse me, Isaiah Campbell. <laughs> and then you look at the bullpen and the job those guys have done. I think we all feel good about those parts. Look at Connor Nolan struggling last week. You know, Patrick Wicklander has been a guy that's been a little up and down. That is a little worrisome. Uh, I think when you get on the stage, especially whenever, you know, if you don't win, your your season's over, it, 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 may, it kind of magnifies things. It makes things a little bit more pressure-packed. So I don't know if concern's the right word. I guess it would be the, uh, kind of the uncertainty of the situation is, is probably the more accurate uh, description here. But, you know, both those guys, I mean, there was a point in time this year where Connor Nolan was throwing really, really well. There was a point in time where Patrick Wicklander was throwing really, really well. So those two guys have it in them. Uh, and if they go out there and they, and they pitch pretty good for the most part, uh, Arkansas has a chance to not only get through this thing, but they can win the national championship. I have zero doubt. Kendall, you mentioned this is your 14th College World Series. I'm going to let you play. I'm <laughs> yeah. going to let you play salesman for a sec for the Arkansas fans who are listening, who are on the fence about going. Why is the College World Series worth the trip? I just think you just look at everything all wrapped into one. You know, if you look at like the Final Four and the College Football National Championship, those are those are incredible events. Those are as good as to me that in college sports it's as good as it gets. But you know, when you look at the College World Series, it's a little bit of that, but it's a lot different in a, in a good way. Uh, you know, every time you come to Omaha, uh, I feel like everybody here just embraces you. Uh, everybody here wants you here. It's just a great. It's just a great environment from the city to the people that are the leaders of the College World Series uh, and things like that. So, uh, you know, again, I I think I've rehashed this so many times, but, like, I just look at it as one of those things like, hey, if you're a fan of baseball and you're a fan of college baseball, there's no better place to go than Omaha. And, you know, the new new ballpark's nice and all, but, boy, I still miss the old park. I mean, if anybody, any of you guys ever went to the old park, man, you talk about just awesome – traditional, old school, uh, it was the best. So I still miss that place, but the new one uh, is, is good enough. you ever make a pilgrimage to uh, to where Rosenblatt used to be? I mean, they've got like a they've got like a wiffle ball field there now, and I almost feel yeah, like that's you know an what? insult. I went once, yeah, I went once, and I honestly kind of hated it. Like, I, you know, I kind of enjoyed my memories being that old ballpark and to see it turn into some little kind of rinky-dink little wiffle ball thing was kind of weird. So honestly, I haven't been back other than one time, but, uh, you know, it was just cool. You know, if you've been there before, it was just a neat, you know, the stadium, it was, it was kind of the same way 
and I'm not comparing it to Fenway Park, but it's kind of the same smell. Like you walked in there and just smelled old. Uh, you know, it was it was just kind of it was kind of grungy in a few spots. And like, yeah, I know in, in like modern America, like you can't have a a ballpark that's a little bit grungy, but it was just awesome. I, I really enjoyed it. I like the term grungy when you describe a baseball park because that definitely is. You like that? Yeah, that's, it's kind that's, of the same way I like my beer bars. You know, a little grungy. Yeah, with a little flannel shirt on it. Exactly. Hey, uh, so we see we see the um, D1 baseball All America teams come out. Yeah. And this morning when I went down to sit for breakfast, I sit next to Nate Thompson, and he, he looks at me, he shows me his phone, and there it is, Jack Kenley, third team, and Nate's face just that? lit up. He absolutely lit up. I said at the start of the season. Kendall, that somebody had to step up, take their game to another level that maybe you weren't expecting. And Jack Henley is that guy. What a season he's had. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt, Phil. I mean, this is a, Aaron and I were talking last night, and we were kind of gig, kind of laughing about the fact that Jack Henley was an All-American. Not, not in a bad way, but like thinking like, like who in the world would have thought coming into the season that we'd have Jack Henley uh, as an All-American. And so that just gives you an idea of what this team has done this year. For this team to win at a high level this year, to at least to a championship level, they were going to have to have several guys step up. And they and that's happened. Trevor Ezell was a guy that had a lot of production at SEMO. You know, we all thought like, okay, you know, can he translate that production into the SEC? He was able to do that. Matt Goodhart, a junior college transfer, you know, hey, he was a really good Juco player, but again, how is he going to make the transition to the SEC? He's done a great job. And then Jack Kinley, for me, to go from a guy who just had a couple of home runs his first two years to having double-digit bombs this year, just an incredible story, really. And, and honestly, is kind of a poster child for what Arkansas baseball is all about. Sure, sure, there's big-time players come in there, big-time recruits come in there. But uh, for the most part, Arkansas baseball has been built on guys that weren't necessarily the, you know, the kind of the, the darling – uh, recruits out there, there were guys that they developed day one until the day they left Fayetteville. So Jack Kinley's a great story, and looking forward to seeing if he has a big Omaha. Well, and it's it's also built on guys like like Cody Scroggins, you know, guys that change position, no doubt. injured, miss a year, spend a whole year building back strength, and then turn into a lights out reliever. I mean, he was the MVP for Arkansas in the Super Regional just based upon Monday's performance, and I think because of the potential uncertainty with the freshman starting pitchers with Connor Nolan, with Patrick Wicklander, and Dave Van Horn's quick hook, which he does have sometimes, Cody Scroggins could be the most important pitcher or maybe player for Arkansas at the College World Series. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. When you look at the in Omaha, such a big key is your bullpen because you know you can get by uh, here in Omaha with a couple of starters. I remember one year, I wouldn't advise it, but I remember one year Arizona won the whole thing well, I think they, they started two guys the whole tournament uh, because they swept the championship series. So it kind of gives you an idea of what you can do with just two starters. But, you know, the bullpen is key. You, not only do you need an op, you know, one or two options, uh, you need three, four, five options in this tournament. I think when you look at Arkansas uh, with Cody Scroggins, you know, he's a guy that, you know, honestly, if you think back to Omaha last year, I remember, you know, I think he topped out at 97 or 98 here in Omaha last year. We're sitting there thinking, like, whoa, where in the world did this come from? And, you know, when I saw him earlier this year, the fastball was electric, but the slider was lacking a little bit. Now it seems like the slider is a little bit sharper. So, again, this team just has another weapon at its disposal. And that's why I have Arkansas playing for the National Championship. i got Arkansas and Vandy playing for it all. And uh, Vandy winning it, 
Uh, I hope for the sake of Arkansas fans, they do get that far. That they that they do win it because that would be tough to to lose the you get runner up back to back. But man, it's going to be a lot of fun. It, I always feel like this tournament is very very unpredictable, uh, and I think it's even more the case this year because I think really other than Auburn, I, I honestly honestly think any of these teams can win it all. Kendall, it's, we really appreciate your expertise, especially talking to us. I think right as you landed. Uh, hope you enjoy the College World Series, and I'm looking forward to seeing you at TD Ameritrade Park. Absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to seeing you here for the next two weeks, right? Two weeks. That's right. That's right. I packed for a lot. I'm planning on doing laundry. You got it, brother. Be good. You're listening to the Halftime Pod, live from the College World Series, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Jeff's Clubhouse has the best brunch in town every Saturday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., bottomless mimosas, an endless buffet, and so much more. 2801 Old Greenwood Road in Fort Smith. More Halftime Pod coming at you. Can we just fast forward to tomorrow? I'm excited with whatever it is I'm going to do tonight, even if I don't make it into the stadium for the game. Uh, I just like being in Omaha this time of the year. But I really can't wait to hear the hatred that's coming through your voice and over the airwaves tomorrow when you're telling me the things that you're thinking about me at that moment. Well, uh, it's gonna again, it's going to go to another level if Arkansas makes it decently far in this tournament. And not only will John leave, but the possibility of Tommy leaving as well. When I'm this sole talent, and let's big air quotes around talent, that's just the term used for sports radio guys like us because most people would say I'm not that talented. That being said, when everyone here from the talent point of view is not here and up in Omaha, Nebraska, then my blood's really going to boil, and then I'm really going to get jealous, and then I may or may not just not show up that day because I'll be so blistering angry and then just get fired. So it could be the, this could be the end of the road for That'll us. That'll be Bill. the end of the show. That'll be it. <laughs> we'll end in spectacular fashion. Go out with a bang. All right. Well, that's tomorrow for our FOMO. But today it's a Thursday, and we have our halftime homework done. Oh, I'm I don't trust this kid any further than I can throw him. I got a question. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? Get out of my class. Out. Get out. I was still thinking of going back to school. I do my homework now. The millennial versus the middle aged. It's time for halftime homework. So Ty had me watch a, an episode of Suits. You, told, you asked me to watch the first 20 minutes of the first episode, and I didn't even realize that the pilot episode is an hour and 12 minutes long. It's that long? It is an hour and 12 minutes long. I apologize. I thought it was like 40 or 50 minutes. That's okay. Most of the episodes are 40 to 43 minutes long, which is just about what you expect from an hour-long television show, but the pilot was an hour and 12 minutes long. I watched about the first 40 minutes of it and fell asleep. It's okay. It's I. Right. It's 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 uh, entertaining to a point. The uh, the high-powered lawyer uh, closer thing can be a little overdone sometimes. The confidence that the one of the lead character, not the lead character, but the the guy that he's essentially trying to work for. Yeah, Harvey uh, Specter. It gets a little it gets a little much sometimes. It's a character that uh, I don't know if I'm interested in very much. Okay. The kid is a little interesting. The one who, uh, who you know, is kind of like uh, Goodwill Hunting to a point. You know, brilliant but ne'er do well. Oh, without the violent aspect of Goodwill Hunting, um, it's it's okay. I, I, again, I don't know if I really care about the characters to take it much farther than the 40 minutes that I watched before I fell asleep in the room last night. But I did I did the halftime homework. I did put effort into watching this show. It just didn't keep me awake. Hey, listen, man. 
I want you to always be open and honest when I give you something to watch or give you something to research, whatever we end up participating in this segment. So for you to tell me that, I'm a little disappointed. I'm a little sad because that's one of my favorite shows. I hope a lot of our listeners have gotten to watch the show Suits and I'm trying to convince Tommy to watch it. We'll see if that ends up happening, but I love it. And see, I don't, but, I, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna wish any ill, ill will towards you because you I don't know you're like not. It. But here's the thing, and I need to remember this too. It's the, it's, the, it's the idea of like the 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 album that you weren't quite sure the first time you listened to it. You force yourself to listen to it again. Like you know, that might have, that was actually that sound a little bit better than the, the third time you listen to it. You're completely into it, did it, and then you you basically listen to that album for a month straight. Well, the past two weeks, Phil. I think Game of Thrones was like that for a lot of people. Didn't it take a couple episodes for you to get into that show? I'm gonna be honest. I was hooked up for the first episode. I okay. can't, and I, I can't believe I waited that long to watch it. But that being said, Phil, if I was going to choose a show for you, the past two weeks, last week you watched an episode. The Wade Boggs episode of, Epi- of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, that's the one I've got to watch yeah. that show. No, you yeah. have to because that is that comedy, that sense of humor is right up your alley. And I, I enjoy Suits. I like Suits more than Always, Funny, uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. But if I'm picking a show out specifically for you, it has to be Always Sunny. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's what I would go with as well. Don't start binge watching until after this season because I think you got a little bit of homework that's not pertaining to halftime homework. It's like prepping and stuff. And I don't want you to get preoccupied with <laughs> watch binge watching Always Sunny before this uh, before this tournament. Phil. I, I will tell you this, and I found this out last year. Although there's a lot to do in Omaha during the College World Series, if you do win your first couple of games, you get three days until the next game. Yeah. You do a little bit of sitting on your ass. So uh, there might be it might be okay to binge watch a series or two without really having much else to worry about. So my halftime homework assignment is Phil mentioned this player, Ricky Henderson, about a month ago. And I had to push the generational gap button because I didn't know who it was. And I think that's a combination of me not growing up around the baseball culture and the fact that this is a guy more in Phil's era, more in his time, even though he retired, I believe, in 2003 with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I'm going to play the first clip, his last stolen base with Ben Scully on the call. There goes Henderson, the throw to Helton. He guns it down to Acuna, and it's not in time as Henderson is under the tag. So Vance picks off Henderson. Corey, on that leg kick, paid the price, and Henderson got under the high throw, awfully close. And second base umpire Gary Cedarson saying safe, and you could see Henderson's left hand on the bag before the tag. Phil, I watched this Hall of Fame speech this morning. It was pretty cool. I really enjoyed listening to that. I uh, he didn't wear he didn't sport this haircut all the time, but he sometimes had the Fresh Prince Will Smith haircut. Oh yeah, the, the I, and I don't even know the the wording for it. Flat top, flat top. That that was really cool. He. Was called his nickname was the Man of Steel, not the Man of like S T E E L S T E A L, because he broke the major league record. That's what happens when you steal one thousand four hundred six bases over your career. And let's get to that next highlight. Here's the highlight where he passed Lou Brock for the all-time stolen bases record in Major League Baseball. Ricky goes a pitch ticket. He's going to have it. He does. Ricky Henderson. No contest. Steals third base, jerks the bag from its moorings, and holds it aloft, representing number 939. Ricky.
Mackey pounds it with his left fist, hands it to equipment manager Frank Sinchek, who gives him a big hug as Ricky's mom. Again, talking about the uh, game <laughs> being forgotten. <laughs> and Lou Brock, probably the happiest guy on the field right now. He can finally make his speech, pass over the record to Ricky, and go about his business. I'm sure a lot of you baseball fans listening have seen that highlight before. I hadn't seen it. And just the, the form of fashion where he just rips the base out of the ground, holds it up in front of these A's fans was just awesome. And I again, I'm a guy that really enjoys breathtaking moments in sports and that was one of the more iconic moments in baseball history and the fact that I just watched it for the first time in 2019 is a little perplexing but it was really cool nevertheless so a couple of things that stand out about Ricky Henderson's career that it don't have anything to do with with statistics one th- this is a hometown guy that got to star for his hometown team for most of his career Now, you know, Ricky played for the Yankees, and he played for the Blue Jays, and a little for the Padres, and a little for the Mets, Boston Dodgers, Seattle by the end of his career. But he spent most of his career, 14 of those seasons, with Oakland. He's born and raised in Oakland. That is an Oakland kid. Wanted to play for the Raiders. Probably could have if he had focused on football. That's how great of an athlete he was. And his mom ushered him towards playing baseball because she didn't want him to get hurt. Ricky also is the greatest player in the history of the sport who threw left-handed and batted right-handed. See, that was a a characteristic that I found that was just so odd to me because I think about the different, just everything I do sports-wise. It's all right-handed. Now, again, I'm not that out of the box. I'm pretty normal when it comes to sports. I have a buddy who plays everything right-handed, but golf's left-handed. And I think that's very weird to see right. that. Now, now, my father is a little bit like this. Okay. Um, my dad is, I mean, who, people joke, they say you're amphibious. Um, but really, what, what he is, he's a, my father's a dentist. He does all of his dentistry left-handed. His, his hand motions, he writes left-handed. He eats left-handed. His arm motions are righty. He bats right-handed. He's 70 years old. He still pitches hardball, real baseball. He's a right-handed pitcher and a right-handed thrower. If he were to kick, it would be with his right foot. I'm all right-handed. I can barely even pick my nose with my left hand. Um, and that sometimes gets a little dangerous. Uh, so, but to see, now there are a lot of baseball players who throw left, who throw right-handed but bat left-handed. Because there's a considerable advantage by being a left-handed batter, just yeah. because there are so many more right-handed pitchers. So that's why usually you'll see a lot of kids will want to bat left-handed. And there is a disadvantage to being a left-handed thrower or a left-handed position player because you're not they're not going to put you behind the plate. You're not going to play any infield position except for first base. But there, I don't even know of another player that, that I can think of that that threw left-handed and batted right-handed and then turned it into a Hall of Fame career and the greatest leadoff hitter of all time in Ricky Henderson. That was an oddity for me, but as evidenced by his career, it worked for him, and it worked well. Uh, he had he, he just cool facts about him. He married his high school sweetheart, Pamela, which I thought was kind of cool. And one of the things I brought up to Phil before the show, we were talking about him eating all these glorious steaks and food in Omaha, and I asked, well, are you using your per diem? He's like, no, no, I'm not doing that. And so I asked, well, why don't you give it to your kids? Because what Ricky Henderson was reportedly used to do is he would save up all his per diem money and put it in a box. And when his kids did well in school, he would let them pick out 
any envelope for that box. <laughs> I just think that was a I just think that's a cool thing. And I was I was given an allowance growing up. It was the same and it rose when I got older and I kinda had to start doing more chores and stuff. But I just thought that was kind of a really cool factor and a really cool thing that would occur in his life with his children. Well, the other thing he was known for is for referring to himself in the in the uh, in the third person yep. more than anybody in the history of the world, probably. And what do I always tell you when it comes to people who have a little arrogance and cockiness about them? And this is in any profession. You can have that as long as you back it up. And his career, his highlights, what he was able to do on the baseball field, he was exactly that. That's why I love Larry Bird so much. That's why I love Michael Jordan so much. That's why, I mean, Deion Sanders would kind of be like the, you mentioned him being a former Florida State guy. That was a guy that. Love saying prime time, talk trash. I don't mind that. But if you're going to do that, be aware of the repercussions if you fail and be aware you better back it up or you're going to get it the other way. He had the kind of style that that, that you really, if you were going to back it up, then you, you could have that style. The way he would catch a fly ball sometimes, he would smack his glove on the on his thigh and then reach up and snatch it out of midair. Not like, you know how fielders would put the glove up Wait for a moment, let the ball come into it, and just catch it. Ricky would just boom, 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 snatch it out of midair, and it was only Ricky could catch fly balls like that. I think he dropped one once, though, and, and still, you know, it wasn't going to change his stuff. The other thing he would do is when he would hit a home run, it's like a whole other way of pimping a home run. He had all of these gold chains, a lot of gold chains around his neck sometimes when he would play in the late 80s. I remember this. He'd hit a home run, and he would start he would start like flicking the chains in a certain way as he was going towards first base, just pulling at them a certain way. I mean, there was just only Ricky Henderson had this kind of style. It it just stood apart. And and, and I got a tweet from a listener here that reminds me of his green, his neon green Mizuno batting gloves that he rocked. Justin Miller tweets he wanted those neon green Mizuno batting gloves that Ricky rocked when he was a kid. He was he was so entertaining to watch on the field and then just listen to off the field. Uh, he's one of a kind. One of a kind. And I remember Jalen Rose talking about in the Fab Five documentary the baggy shorts and how they were just kind of looked at as icons and you can go to other, you can look at like guys in 2005 on USC with it's Reggie Bush and Matt Liner. There's certain guys that not only or icons for their just city as a whole and their their surrounding communities with their football, basketball, baseball, whatever. But when you affect a culture, when you affect a nation, like it seems like Ricky Anderson did with his sense of style and his persona, that's when you know you've done something. That's when you know that you're you're getting to a point where you're you're not gonna be having to pay for much. And I guess the last thing we got to touch on, Phil, for him is the one million dollar check that you mentioned, I believe last week, that he framed that was devalued because of inflation. He just was it the signing bonus? Was that correct? I don't remember what it was. I, honestly, that is un. It might have been for it might have been for breaking the uh, stolen base record. That's unfathomable to me. That's I I, I would I would rather uh, like just to think about me. But, you know, it like if Tommy were to walk in right now after the show, like, hey, you've done a great job, son. Here's a million dollar bonus check for all the work you put in. You know where I'd go? A thousand dollar bonus. Come on. A thousand, yeah. (laughs) A hundred. You know what I'd do with that? I'd drive straight to the bank. I'd drive straight to the bank of the South Regions. I'd stick it in the ATM and I'd deposit that sucker. Only he, and I get, there's probably another athlete or two that I'm not thinking about that would possibly do this, but that is just an incredible story about Ricky Henderson. It really sums him up, kind of like you mentioned last week. So you know what else is a great story, Ty? You're going to tell me. 
you think I'm talking about the St. Louis Blues. No, not at all. I know they stole this song as their, like, fired-up song for their fans to sing after every win. I'm talking about Flashdance. That's a great story. Probably even better than the story of the St. Louis Blues winning their first-ever Stanley Cup. It is the story, my friend Ty, of Alex, a beautiful young lady who dreams of a dance career. But she is also a welder inside the city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And she has bigger dreams. And it's from the movie that you're going to be forced to watch sometime in the next six days. And I'm also going to force you to listen to the soundtrack, which is great music. Interestingly enough, Gloria is not on the soundtrack of Flashdance, which is probably more known for this song. Ty, do you know this song? I've seen this in a TV show or movie because the guy does the fingers and he goes really fast. And I can't think of what it's from. It's from Flashdance. I know that, but it's, it, it's in something else that I've seen that I can't think of. Well, I'll give you the name of the song briefly here in a moment, okay? This is She's a Maniac by Michael Sambello, and it is from the most iconic scene of one of the most iconic movies of the 1980s. She's also an exotic dancer who does some pretty interesting routines during the movie. Ty, you weren't around in the 1980s. You didn't know about the leg warmer craze. You didn't know about the aerobics craze. Kind of a lot of this stuff started with flash dance. Is this like a dirty dancing high school musical combined? Like, what oh, am I? No, I wouldn't call it. High, it's, it's not cheesy like high school musical in a sense that it means to be cheesy. It just is now after all these years. This was the most popular movie of 1983. And the, the soundtrack spawned two number one songs. Uh, just, uh, and, and the movie, it broke records. It broke records. It starts Jennifer Beals, who I don't know if she was, I mean, she, she still is an actress, but never hit it like as big as she did when she played the lead character on, on Flashdance. Okay. Michael Nori is her love interest and her boss at the steel mill of all places where she works. So. I'm I'm asking you to watch Flashdance, which is really, when you go back and look at the reviews now, it's terribly reviewed all these years later. Uh, but the music is iconic. The dance scenes are iconic. And I feel like if you're going to learn about the 1980s, which is partially what Halftime Homework is about, you got to know Flashdance. So enjoy, my friend. I can't wait. It seems like that this is going to be really enjoyable. And I say that very much sarcastically since Phil told me before the segment that I was going to hate what I'm about to watch. But... Nevertheless, because I'm a good student, I'm going to follow through on the assignment. Phil, for you, I'm not going to make you watch one of their movies, but you've given me a couple of your team th- heartthrobs over the years, whether it's Ali Sheedy, Elle McPherson, just kind of some girls that you grew up with as like icons that you had, were bewildered with or whatever the phrase you want to put there. It is Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen's birthday. Now, they were... you might uh, they're, from, uh, they're from Full House. Yeah, they played Michelle on Full House, and... That's, I guess you could say that's more your generation than mine, but I grew up watching Full House, loved that.
but they were the teen heartthrobs when I was growing up. That was yeah. like a big deal. So your job is to just kind of research and why they were like that, why they were so beloved, why it seemed like every guy my age in America was all over that, or were just were just so infatuated with them. And it was it was funny. Don't again. I'm not going to be mean and make you watch the New York Minute or something like that, one of their teen pop movies that you would absolutely despise me for and might, after the College World Series, come up to Fort Smith and punch me in the face. But I do want you to do a little research on them and come back with me for with the small report. This is the Halftime Pod, live from the College World Series, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse.